0: The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So we now enter into week two of our nine-week series on Rhythms for Life. And last week, Hayden wonderfully introduced us to this series by talking about going on an adventure. He asked us each to conjure up an image of which adventure we'd like to go on. I want you to bring that memory from last week back. What
1: kind of adventure are you going to go on? Because the type of adventure you choose, it'll say something about you. Perhaps
0: your chosen adventure was a family camping trip to a provincial park,
1: that you have gone to school for a kid, and now you get to bring your children and more of your family into it because family is important together in this familiarity tradition. Perhaps you imagined a
0: vacation with an extremely detailed itinerary as you moved from city to city to city, taking in all the largest attractions, and you had it down to the minute. Or maybe, Your idea of an adventure is simply sitting around at a cafe with some friends and writing Thailand on a napkin and sliding it across, and that's all you need to go on. You're a little wild. The things we do, the things we say, the the paths we choose for our lives, they all flow out of our identity. In their book, Truth is Stranger Than It Used to Be, Walsh and Milton, they ask question about who we are as Christians in our contemporary Western society, in a place where truth and identity are relative, are fluid, they can change on a dime, we can hold paradoxes in our minds together, it's always changing in the flow of what's in and current with new information. It's no longer static. We are almost required to change and adapt our sense of identity, our values, our systems of being on a whim. And it's important to think and consider who we are, because for Walsh and Middleton, that's how we enter into society. That's how we enter into community. As a student, when you come to a new class, a new semester, a new year, the first thing they do is they make you sit and go around in a circle and say something about it always comes to you when you sit there and you go, My name Ben. Uh, As you're trying to think.
1: For some reason, you've completely forgotten who you are. So you're asked to describe yourself in one or two instances because, of course, it's not that simple. But you want to say the things at context. Whether it's a class, a work a group,
0: a new social circle, you want to say something that will ingratiate you into their to that society, to that group. And so it's not that you don't know who you are, it's who you're going to be in that moment. Because ultimately you have to choose something. When it comes to identity, you're forced to make a decision, to stand on one side of an issue or another, to pick one value over another. There's nothing neutral there. In a lot of us, our stories, they are what define us, things of our past, our present, great memories
1: from holidays. that so we get a sense of who we are.
0: Perhaps it's an embarrassing story, like the time I tried to throw a friend into the pool and it failed, so he decided to chase me, and I thought I'd be really quick and climb up over the fence.
1: I slipped. I fell forward and I the top of the fence. Well, there I was hanging upside down on the fence with my legs in the air. I'm a little embarrassed. That's something you know about me, and I'm not afraid to be embarrassed.
0: But it's these stories that then make us feel like we know each other better. But often it's the stories that we tell ourselves that have the greatest impact. The stories that we tell ourselves of who we are, of where we find our value. In his book Rhythms for Life, Alistair Stern talks about misguided stories. Stories that perhaps start out well. Stories that we tell ourselves that good no
1: intentions go wrong. He talks about know, two stories in particular. The first is our current story of self authorship. The idea that we are ones that write our own experience.
0: Life. You are the one that tells your own story, makes your decisions. You alone are in charge. Perhaps there is merit in that, because not allowing yourself to be played on the whims of other people, your bosses, your parents, your friends, your coworkers. You're going to tell your own story. And that's good. We need to have a little sense of confidence, a sense of self-discernment. But what it can do is it can push everything out to the outside and refuse to allow anyone or anything to tell us something about ourselves, to tell us who we are, a firm entity. Because if we're not the ones writing our story, then it must be wrong. The second story he talks about is the performance story. He, uh,
1: he creates a picture of the parent in their childhood. And that's the child talks into the door and says,
0: I would like you, if we have children, one day, to do it, to inspire them to be good, to be excellent. But the problem is, is that we can take in a story like that with good intentions and we can twist it to the point where if we aren't excellent, if we are not doing exceptionally, if we are not the best of the best, then therefore we have failed to live up to that story. That we believe that the expectation of excellence binds us. And if we do anything less than perfect then we are worthless and i think this is perhaps one of the most common stories that our ability to perform in the workplace in our relationships in our sports in our hobbies if we are not the best of the best then we have failed and our identity can no longer be placed in that item further weeks down we're going to talk about gifts Talents, personalities, roles, vocations, and all of these things are very important in the makeup of who we
1: are, the of our identity. Our skills, our personality, our jobs.
0: If we make these the center of who we are, they are something that falls prey so easily to that performance story, that story of excellence, where if we are not doing the best. begins to settle down. So where, then, do we look for these stories? Where do we look to center our identity in? As Christians, our first response should always be to look to scripture. And so today, we came to the book of Ephesians and a little bit about the church in Ephesus, a little bit about what the situation You would get a sense of what Paul's mission to Ephesus was like. It was a cosmopolitan city. They the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world.
1: They're a port city. There was great trade, wealth, and commerce flowing in the city. It's only as trade ships crossed the Aegean and into the desert, and with them, they all their values religious culty, it's a their it's very pro roman city they have the cult of the emperor be a kid walking down the street and see a church just
0: screwed up on the side and people giving a pinch of incense to the prime minister for good luck and good favor for maybe lower taxes it have been described by spiritual cultural disneyland wherever your appetites would take you you can find something for you so paul is right to this context I find a little bit familiar. this idea that there's a little something for everyone a choose your own adventure kind of city a lot of options living in the greater toronto and greater hamilton areas i think we can identify with that and so paul starts his letter by talking to the church in ethicists about who they are. Because it is easy in a place where there are so many different stories, so many different narratives, so many things vying for your attention to say you belong to us, find your identity in your work,
1: in this temple, in this circle. So to right, say push that all to the other side, this is who you are. An interesting fact about Ephesians 1, verses 15, one sentence in Greek. So if any of the teachers at school give you a brief of the runoff, just say, i just trying to mirror Paul the Bible. And so Paul, he writes out a statement of who we are. We are created by celebration and in verse 5 he talks
0: about in love God predestined us and he refers to love 21 times in this letter as a whole so he begins by introducing this he talks
1: about adoption that we created the image of God in his
0: likeness that of love he has chosen us and adopted us and adoption as a
1: legal process it's a little bit different than it might be considered today. For well, while it is exchanged
0: mental authority to another in the empire, if you were adopted into someone's family, it was as if you were blood. There was no need to make a distinction of this is my natural born son and this is my adopted son. One name, and no one would consider them separate. For it is in this love, and it is to this extent, that God has brought us into his family, that we are not different. We are not
1: sort of an table. we are brought in the fullness of the family.
0: And what is more is that this is all a reflection on God's character. Paul does not talk about anything of our merits, of anything that we have done to deserve this love, to, to earn adoption. He didn't welcome us into his family because we could
1: provide service to him. No. We are to
0: start by centering our identity not on who we are, but on who God is. How strange it would be to introduce ourselves, based on the character of God, to come up and say, Hi, I'm Ben. My God is loving and just and gracious and compassionate. We may feel like that tells us
1: tells other people nothing about who we are, all but that tells everything about who we are. That we are a people who are chosen. That God has predestined us before all of creation
0: adopted us that he is redeeming us for his good pleasure God desires redemption for us that we have an inheritance that God has set apart the best portion for us that we have eternal life and are going to live in the new heavens and new earth forever and that we will rule it alongside Jesus and he has given us the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a promise that this is going to come to completion. That this is who we are, and this are, these are the benefits that come to us. Because we cannot focus our identity on us. Because Paul tells us who we are, that we were once dead in our sins. That we had no hand in bringing salvation to ourselves. God chose us out of his good pleasure, that we are perhaps we are disobedient, that we have turned away from God, and so then our identity as people who have sinned necessitates God being the one to step in and save us, and so redeeming us out of that sinful identity as to ones who are saved. It's not about our actions, but the fact that our very being has turned towards God. Because if given the choice, but we would choose to do as well. We would be excellent at disobedience. Which is what happened originally in the garden. All the way back in Genesis is that sin was choosing ourselves our own desires over relationship with God, and so the punishment was death. By our very nature, we were deserving of wrath, punishment, and separation. That doesn't sound like a fun way to introduce yourself, does it? It's not a great thing anchor your identity, but we don't have to because God is love. God's identity trumps our sin, our sinful nature, and so he welcomes us in with grace.
1: The Greek word kairós, it means reciprocity, it means repayment. But the fantastic about the grace that God lays on us is that it is unpayable. There's no way that we could do anything that will even
0: come close to balancing the scales of what God has done for us. It is a gift, Paul says. The defining characteristic of who we are is that we are under God's grace. He chose to save us not based on our own superiority his own insufficiencies because God in a sense not needs but desires us and so as people our identity we no longer need to listen to those misguided stories of excellence to push out the the misguided story of self-authorship that we are the ones that tell our own story because if we told the story as we would we would fall short of God's will for our lives we would turn inward and this is a great comfort. For as we sang today, I am not my own. This comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer one. For what is your only comfort in life and death? is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid, he has paid for all my sins with his precious, and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation, because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life, making me wholly willing, and ready from now on to live for him. And it is this freedom that we can now live into. This Becomes our identity. Ones saved by grace, ones that are free. And it's sort of backwards with freedom from what we expect in our society, in our culture. For as we read from Romans, it says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit who receives you does not make us slaves that live in fear, but rather the Spirit has brought you about into adoption of sonship. We are no longer bound by these misguided stories. We
1: no longer have. We no longer have to to feel our identity and what we do. Because a lot of
0: times our need for success, our need for excellence, our need for validation is driven by fear of rejection, by fear of failure. And fear, while being a powerful motivator, it does not motivate us to care. It motivates us selfish reasons, for self-preservation, right? Fear creates that fight-or-flight response in animals, and fear does the same for us. We either fight against our brothers and sisters to secure our identity over them, or we run away withdraw. For Paul reminds us here in Romans that We are not slaves to fear, but we belong to God. He is our master. We are his servants, and he does not inspire out of fear, but out of love. And in fact, as his servants, he elevates us to co-heirs with Christ, that adoption to son and daughtership. The Spirit confirms this story
1: in our hearts. There is, of course, still that tension. I'm not going to pretend that we can all good. Yes, for sure is in Christ. I will never
0: strive for excellence at the detriment of others to stay my identity because there is still that tension, that now not yet of the kingdom. And we are going to wrestle with that every single day until Christ comes again. Some days we may feel
1: that identity more securely. We may feel that we are able in other days, fear would be the dominant factor. Every day, as we step into the of life, daily
0: routines as they change, remind yourself to come to each task, each
1: relationship,
0: each role,
1: that I
0: am one who is a child of God, a God of love, a God of grace, and my need to perform, my need to be the author of my own story,
1: Only death and destruction. To live in that message of grace.
0: Who are you? What is your identity? Who are you and how does it influence your life? Well, you are all children of God. You are all saved by grace, unrepayable
1: grace. into just be. Be who God created you. He created you in His image. It reflects His glory and His love to Brothers and sisters, who you are, that's what has already been told. Slack. Identity Encourage one another to protect because by grace we are saved. Right? Jesus Christ our Savior and Holy Spirit in of our faith. Help us to remember Story that you tell of creation, that we are yours, did in your image, to live fully after you. God Almighty, take these false narratives, these stories that keep us down, that keep us living in fear of rejection of you, of ourselves,
0: of others, and replace that with a story of. God Almighty, help us to stop trying so hard to earn the love and affection of you and others. Help us to just be. God Almighty, as we go into this week,
1: we ask that your spirit confirms this story in us, confirms who we truly are, and our rhythms of life flow out of that.